Everybody here is trying to change something about the past. And so for you and for me to start, we need to break the cycle. Whatever that cycle, whatever your family history is, it doesn't have to be your future. It doesn't have to be. You know how I know? The second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. It says, behold, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation Our past does not need to define us. Through Jesus, we're all new creations. When we accept his free gift of love and forgiveness that he generously provided through his death, we're no longer chained to who we were. We can start fresh. Pastor Daniel shares today that this extends into our family's histories as well. Who our parents or grandparents were doesn't have to be who we are. We have the chance to change and God to help us. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, God's Strange Plan. As a young pastor, I'll never forget Mike and Kathy. They were Irish, came from a long line of alcoholics. And they, as a young couple, were total alcoholics. They'd been raised in it. That was what was normal. And they came to know Jesus. I'll never forget, they said, Pastor Daniel, God broke that cycle of sin in my family. Alcoholism ends right here. It's beautiful watching them raise their kids, godly young men and women. Breaking a whole history of alcoholism ends because one of God's kids trusts in the Lord. So break that cycle. And in some ways, Jehoram is and isn't doing that. Because notice it says that his father was... King Ahab. Now listen to what it says about King Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 31 to 33. It gives us some color to verse 2. It says, and it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. We'll talk about that in verse 3 in a second. That he took as a wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So you see the environment that Jehoram was raised up in. Literally, his dad Ahab grabbed a wife, this woman named Jezebel, and they literally set up a pagan worship center in Samaria. He made a wooden image and he set it up and he it says he provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger more than all the kings who came before him. Why was God so upset? Because the covenant-keeping God brought the people of God into the promised land and said, you shall not worship any gods other than me. You shall not make any carved image. And what did he do? made a carved image, set up a place of worship, and he caused the people under his influence to fall away from worshiping the true and living God. That's what God gets upset about. When we allow people or we influence people away from the God who keeps us and created us. So Ahab was a bad dude. 
It says that Jeroboam wasn't as bad as him. He actually put away the sacred pillar of Baal. So he did in some ways tear down this pillar that Ahab had made. But then in verse 3, it says, Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from him. Now, Jeroboam. Let me read to you 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 26 to 31, and I'll explain how the sin of Jeroboam, this is something that Ahab was involved in, and now his son Jeroham is involved in as well. Look at what it says. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David, and if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore, the king asked advice, made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people. Went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Let me put this in context to you. This is important, right? Remember, King David, right? He was Israel's maybe their greatest king. And God had made David a promise that there was always going to be a ruler from the lineage of David on the throne of Israel. Remember, David, then Solomon came. And after Solomon, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, became the king of Israel. Now, if you were to look up knucklehead in the Bible, Rehoboam's picture might be there. Because Rehoboam made a brutal mistake. His dad Solomon in building up the kingdom of Israel at that time and building the temple, right? He had begun to really drive the people and tax them very hard. And the elders of Israel came to him and said, listen, your father has been working people hard. The people will follow you if you back off. We've been working so hard. And Rehoboam said, okay. And he went to his buddies and he said, well, these old guys want me to do this. Like, no, no, you tell them that your dad's that you're going to be way harder than your dad. You're going to be more severe. And Rehoboam listened and said it to the wise elders of Israel. He listened to his buddies. And sure enough, right as that happened, the 10 northern tribes broke off and they followed this man, Jeroboam. But Jeroboam did what everybody in power has a tendency to do. It dawned on him that if the 10 northern tribes decide to go and worship in Jerusalem, they're going to remember that we're not supposed to be divided. And they're going to end up killing me. And, they're all, and the kingdom's going to go back together. He's not thinking with the eyes of God. He's thinking with the heart of a possessive person. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to make two golden calves and I'm going to set them up. I'm going to tell the people, do not go down to Jerusalem. It's just too much work. Come here. Here's your gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you've ever read the story about the children of Israel leaving Egypt, golden calves were a problem, Right? But the people didn't know, and all Jeroboam cared about was consolidating power. Didn't care about the ways of God. Didn't care about the purposes of God. Cared about his own back and his own pocket. And he led the people into rebellion. So the people wouldn't go down to Jerusalem. Instead, they worshipped idols, not the real God, not the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And that was the sin of Jeroboam. And literally, the 10 northern tribes had 18 successive evil kings who all just followed the way that was before them. Now, not only that, 
By the time you get to verse 4 here, back in 2 Kings chapter 3, we find that Misha, the king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and wool of 100,000 rams. So really, Misha was a subordinate. He was a vassal of King Ahab. And when Ahab died, he rebelled against that. He's like, I don't want to be under your control anymore. So you see, Jeroboam broke the cycle a little bit. We're going to see that Jehoshaphat is going the wrong direction. He had a godly dad, but he's going to make some bad decisions. Now you have Misha, who's literally saying, I do not want to be under your tyranny any longer. So everybody here is trying to change something about the past. And so for you and for me to start, we need to break the cycle. Whatever that cycle, whatever your family history is, it doesn't have to be your future. It doesn't have to be. You know how I know? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Behold, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are being made what? New. So I don't know what the cycle is in your life, but you need to break that cycle. You don't have to continue down whatever the issues of your family is. It ends right here, right now, in Jesus' name. Now, I know for some of you, I say that, and you're like, I like the sound of that, but Fusco, how's it possible? I mean, this is what it's always been, and it's never been anything on that. And know what the answer is? If you come to Jesus and you say yes to Jesus, Jesus will lead you in a more excellent way. Jesus will do a work that only he can do, and he will take you on a journey that will lead you into your own personal version of the promised land, away from the sins of the past. I can't do it. Your friends can't do it for you, but Jesus will do it if you say yes to him. You say, Lord, lead me in a brand new way. Show me something new. Show me the way that you would have me go. And let him lead you on those next steps. You got to break that cycle. And everyone here is trying to break the cycle. But look at what happens in verse 6 of 2 Kings chapter 3. It says this. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go out with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Verse 8, then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on the roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Saphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now, you see what goes on here. Jehoram is the king of Israel, and he wants to go to war against Moab. He's mad that they're rebelling against his leadership. They're trying to remove themselves under the yoke of his authority. So he goes down to Jehoshaphat, who's a godly king, 
And he says, Moab has rebelled against me. I'm going to go to war. You want to come? And notice what Jehoshaphat says. He says, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. Now, what does this teach us? My friends, we need to beware of unholy alliances. Hmm. Jehoshaphat had no business at all saying, I am as you are. My people are your people. My horses are your horses. No. No. Jehoram's heart was not right with the Lord. And Jehoshaphat now makes an alliance with someone he has no business having an alliance with. And it leads almost to destruction for them. Then you got to ask yourself, do you have unholy alliances in your life? Now, I'm not saying you should be unfriendly to people. Jesus said that we should love everybody. He said we should even love our enemies. But there's a difference between a friendship and an alliance. And many of us, listen, many of us, because of unholy alliances, the light of God reflecting in our life is diminishing. I have a friend who always says, show me your friends, and I'll tell you your future. You are going to become the average of the five people closest to you. That's the reality of it. The five people closest to you, that's what you're going to become. That's what your destiny is. You got to ask yourself, do you want to be the sum total of the five people closest to you? Maybe I need to ask this question a different way. Because some of you will say, heck yeah, Fusco. I want to be the average of the five people closest to me. Here's the question. God recreate you in Jesus to make you the average of the five people closest to you. Or does God have something way more extraordinary for you? That is the question, isn't it? Not what do I want for my life, but what does God want for my life? Who am I in Jesus and how am I supposed to be? And if you look at the life that God wants for you and the average of the five people closest to you, and if they're not the same, then my friends, God wants to do some work. I'm not saying don't be friends with them, but unholy alliances have a tendency to diminish the work that God is doing in our lives. You ever hear the old proverb, bad company corrupts what? Good character or good morals. Yeah, it does. Now, I want to take it aside for a second. Because if I had a nickel for every time I met a single Christian gal who's dating a non-Christian guy, and they say, well, I'm dating him so that he'll come to know Jesus. Listen, missionary dating is dumb. I said it. I did. It's dumb. I want to tell you why it's dumb. Because guys are smart. Kind of. Dudes, I, we're going to be real, right? We're smart, kind of, right? Guys are smart. So then all of a sudden there's this young girl and she's cute and she loves Jesus and she's so bright and shiny. And a guy's like, yeah, I want to marry that girl. And she's like, well, I love Jesus. I go to Crossroads. And, and he's like, okay, I'll go to Crossroads. Now, he doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, right? But he sees, he's like, if I'm going to be able to marry this cute girl who's so bright and shiny, right? And if I'm going to be able to marry her, then I need to go to Crossroads. You go to Crossroads, and all of a sudden, she's like, you need to go home. Go forward and give your life to Jesus. You got to go see Pastor Daniel up there. 
And he's like, okay, I could do that. Okay. So all of a sudden, one day he comes down. He's real serious about Jesus. Baby works out a little tear. Oh, yeah. And she's like, oh, he's giving his life to Jesus. We're getting married. She's got the wedding bells in her ears and everything. And she's excited. But you know what happens? Then after they get married, then who he really is comes out. And you know what happens? He doesn't want to go to church. And it's not about going to church. It's about what you really want is you want a man who's going to share God's love with you. You don't want his love. He doesn't want your love. You want the love of Jesus coming through another person. And then all of a sudden, he doesn't know anything about the love of Jesus because he just got saved because he wanted to get married to the cute, shiny girl. And then before you know it, she's going to church. She's all by herself. And she's miserable at home because she's not getting the love of Jesus through this dude because he doesn't know it. And then all of a sudden, she's weeping. And I've seen this so many times. See, you don't want to do missionary dating. You want to say, I want to see if God wants me to marry someone who I trust spiritually. Somebody who I can trust my life. A guy who would say, I care more about Jesus and this girl than I do about myself. And you're not going to find that anywhere in the world. But too many of us are thinking, well, if I date him, then maybe I'll show him Jesus and they'll get... It almost never works that way. Now, you guys, American culture isn't exactly pushing out wonderful, godly women either. So you guys, listen. You need to ask yourself, one, does this girl know that Jesus died on a cross for her? And two, is God asking me to lay down my life for this girl? Because I'm here to tell you, marriage as a man is a slow death. I get that right out of Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself for her. And I'm here to tell you, you got to want to die for her. See, I've watched more godly people's lives get shipwrecked by relationships that they have no business being in. And I've seen it enough as a pastor that I have to warn you about it. But it's not only in this context. It's really unholy alliances in any context. Whether it's business. Whether it's this or that. Beware of unholy alliances. See, Jehoram goes to Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat has no business making this deal. No business. But then Jehoram says, okay, so um, how do we want to get at this? And Jehoshaphat, he's smart. Because notice what he says in verse 8. He says, by the wilderness of Edom. Edom is south of Judah. And on the other side of the Dead Sea, there's Moab. You see that? So what Jehoshaphat says is instead of going right across, we're going to be vulnerable. If we come from the south and we come through the wilderness of Edom, we'll be able to reach Moab with no problem. And King Jehoshaphat also realizes that if they go south, They'll also pick up the armies of Edom as well, because Edom was the descendants of Esau, which was the brother of Jacob. So you have all the descendants of Jacob between Israel and Judah, and then they pick up the descendants of Esau. We got three armies going against the Moabites, right? And so that's what happens. They go on south, and they're going to come on in. But notice what happens. It says here, and this teaches us a lot in verse 9. It says, so the king of Israel went 
with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on the roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor the animals that followed them. For the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now, we learn a little bit about Jehoram, right? He doesn't worship the true and living God, but right as he gets in trouble, he says, this is the Lord's fault. Capital O, capital O, capital R, capital E. This is how you know if you're involved in an unholy alliance. Because everything that good happens, they give the credit to someone else. And everything that bad is like, the Lord is nasty. He's mean. He's looking to mess us up. See, this is how the Lord works. And isn't that the voice of the enemy? Bringing accusation against the character of God. See, Jehoram doesn't know the true and living. He thinks God's just a meanie. Brothers and sisters, God's not mean. God created you and created me so that he can bring his blessings into your life and through your life. But because God is perfect, God also can't bless everything. And God actually loves you too much to bless the rebellion. Really, God loves you enough to give you the fruit of your rebellion so that you would learn you need to turn to him and change. See, Jehoram is an unholy alliance because he wants to blame God for the bad things. He wants to take credit for the good things. Completely misses the point. But notice Jehoshaphat. Remember I told you Jehoshaphat was a godly king? Look at what he does in verse 11. Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And so one of the servants of the king of Israel, notice this is Jehoram's servant. He says, yeah, Elisha, the son of Saphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. See, Jehoshaphat's God, he's like, you know what? We need a prophet right now. We need to find out what's going on. See, and this is good counsel. Because if you don't know what's going on, you say, Lord, what are you doing? What are you up to? What an important question. We try and figure everything out. Instead of we ask the all-knowing one, what's going on? But you got to ask yourself, what does your unholy alliances look like? Do you have them? Most of us do. Such a reminder, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 16. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Baliel? Or what heart has a believer with an unbeliever and what agreement has the temple of God with idols for you are the temple of the living God now again I'm not saying we should be mean to non-believers I'm not saying we shouldn't serve them listen we talk a lot about rolling up our sleeves and serving the world in this place of pain in the name of Jesus but there is different between serving and friendship and an alliance a big difference I think for many of us we're not figuring that difference out and it's diminishing what God wants to do in our lives don't be unequally yoked in business all these different things it will hold you back from fulfilling the calling that God has Jesus is real we're called by our creator to be Jesus to people in the world As Pastor Daniel reminded us today, we need to stay in the world to show God's love. 
but we need to protect ourselves from allowing the influences of the world stay inside of us. Jesus is real family. Pastor Daniel here. Have you heard? I got a brand new book that just came out. It's called Upward, Inward, and Outward, and I want you to get a copy of it. Go to my website, danielfusco.com. Listen, I wrote this book because we want to cultivate a life that is full of the love of God and because of God's love, loving ourselves and then moving into the world, loving everyone. This is what life is all about. I can't wait for you to get a copy. God bless you guys. Don't forget, each and every bit of support we receive here at Jesus Is Real Radio goes to further the cause of Christ and put valuable resources into your hands to help you grow. As Daniel just mentioned, we'd love to offer you a copy of Upward, Inward, Outward, Loving God, Loving Yourself, and Loving People. And this just isn't any normal copy. It's a limited edition signed copy by Pastor Daniel. Check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. That's JesusIsRealRadio.com and then simply click on Partner. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel brings us to one of God's stranger plans in the Bible, showing us that God's purposes can't always be explained. We might not see the end result of God's work, but we can trust it's all for a greater cause. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series, Inside Man, The Life of Elisha. Until then, may God bless you.